before I get started, Carmen, I wanted to let you know my wife actually texted me while you were doing the children's program, and they're listening on the radio. Apparently, you made sm saw your smile really big when you said his name. Um, <clears throat> so, before um, speaking of the radio, I'll, I didn't do this during the welcome. I'd like to welcome those who are listening in KPET land, as we say. Um, we're glad you're with us this morning. And um, on, on a side note, um, speaking on behalf of the staff, um, over the, the holiday, we received the Christmas bonuses that you guys were so gracious to bestow upon us, and that was uh, quite a, a surprise. So I thank you, um, and I know the rest of the staff does too. Um, we, we appreciate that, that generosity. Um, I was talking with Kendall last night, um, and I, I've done this both times. He kind of helped me get the nervous jitters out, and we were talking about the football game because <laughs> I was kind of enjoying it. Um, and um, he wanted me to let you know that while he misses you greatly, he's kind of glad he's not here um, because he knew that it was going to be never-ending um, as bad as his team lost. So he said I was welcome to uh, admit that from the pulpit, and I thought I'd take him up on it. So, um, <laughs> um, so today, as we close out the new year, or the old year and go into the new year, I want to take a moment and actually look at a portion in Scripture that actually gives us a glimpse at who God is, God the Father specifically. Um, the New Testament spends a lot of time talking about Jesus and the type of person, the type of, of Savior that he is. But this is one of those scriptures that spends some time giving us a glimpse into who God the Father is, who his, what his spirit is like. So we're going to be spending the majority of the morning today in Luke chapter 15. Um, now this is a, a chapter that has been touched on by a multitude of preachers. I am not by far the first at all to touch this um, chapter. It's the, the chapter that has three parables that Jesus gives. We're going to be focusing on one of them. Um, the three parables are the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. And the, the, they all kind of tell the same message. So I'm going to spend the majority of my time on the prodigal son. And most of the sermons I've heard um, that, on the prodigal son deal with the message being a non-believer who comes into the family. Um, but as we go through this, I'm going to offer up the idea that, that maybe we've been looking at it a little bit wrong. Um, but before we get in that, I want, to, I want to give you guys a question to kind of ponder as we go um, throughout this. And the question is this, how do you think God sees you when you stumble? When, when we have a, a moment, when we have something that we continually stumble upon. It doesn't have to be anything big. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it do, it's not, uh, you know, gross dis disobedience. But it's, you know, when we have something that we struggle with, in our minds, how do we think God sees us? So that's the, that's the question that I want us to, to think on this morning. So to kind of tell you the story of um, the prodigal son, and I'm going to kind of do this in my own words a little bit. Um, there was a father who had two sons. And, and notice the two sons are, are part of the family. They are, they are in the family. They are under the auspices of the father. So this is not a, a son who 
is already gone and, com and, and comes into the family. The, he starts the story in the family. So I believe that the younger son and the older son are both believers in this story. The father is obviously God. And the younger son comes to the father and says, to use a Leonardism, I've got places to go, people to see, and things to do. I'd like my half of the inheritance, and I'd like to go. And so the father gives him that gift. And I, I think in this story, the gift isn't necessarily money. In this story it is, but the, what he's getting at is, I think these are also spiritual gifts that were given, and then the son takes and goes off to a, a far land. I'm going to have to watch out for that candle. Okay. Um, I just realized I just kind of waved my hand across it. That might turn out bad. Um, but he goes, it says he goes off to a far country and spends it on wild living. Um, the way that I kind of see this is that this is someone who takes the gifts that God has given him and uses it for something that is not of the kingdom, um, whatever that may be. And, it, you know, that a lot of times we don't see that as necessarily bad. Um, and there's a lot of times we can use our gifts in a setting that is not specifically church-related that still has an impact for the kingdom. But this specifically, he is using the gifts, the inheritance that God gave him against the kingdom on what we would consider wild living. And he ends up spending it all. And he ends up in a place where he is destitute and, and has no money and there's a famine across the land and he is feeding pigs. I mean, he has reached the bottom. He, he wants the pods that they're feeding the pigs, but he can't even get that. And I love the verse that comes right after that. I, I really like the way the NIV puts it. He says, when he came to his senses, I, I love the way that's worded because I've been known to come to my senses on more than one occasion in my life. So that was fitting when I read that. Um, but it says, when he came to his senses, he decides that he's going to return to the father. So this is a son who has left and he has a moment, an aha moment. And he says, well, that was stupid. I should have been back here with the father the whole time. He's the hired servants are eating better than I am right now. I should have stayed. And so he makes three statements. Jesus, I think, puts these three statements in here very intentionally. And it shows us an idea of how we need to be when we repent towards God. The first statement is this. I have sinned against you in heaven. This is what he says he's going to say to the Father when he gets there. That's good. I mean, we need to say that. When we go to the Father and repent, we need to name our sin. Even though God knows that sin, and he is well aware of it before we get there, the act of us naming it shows God our sincere heart. The second statement that he makes is, I am not worthy to be your son. And that statement is true. I mean, we aren't. Outside of what Jesus did for us, we're not worthy to be a part of his kingdom. And so both of those statements are true. And then there's a third statement that he makes that I believe is actually a wrong statement that believers who stumble make a lot of the time. And it's, make me one of your hired servants. The idea that we can work our way back into the kingdom if we stumble is, I believe, a lie that is told to us not of the kingdom, but by the enemy. The idea that we can, of our own accord, work our way back into the good graces of the Father, I believe, is, is something that fuels dead religion and complacency. This idea that, well, I can't earn, earn my way in, I'm just not even going to try. And if you'll notice a little bit later in the story, the Father doesn't let him get that third statement out. 
and we'll get to that. So the, he decides to get up and go. And the fa- it says the father notices him and sees him while he's still a long ways off. And the, as you, if you were here for my last sermon, you know I like to mental picture things in the Bible. And the way I picture this is it's the end of the day. You know, the, the father and the son have worked all day long, and God, the father, is sitting in a rocking chair on the, on the, the porch. You know, he's just, he knows the son is coming back at some point, and his eyes are focused on the road. See, if God's eyes aren't focused on the son coming back, he doesn't see him. He doesn't see him from a long ways off, for sure. And so that gives us an idea that God is actively seeking us when we leave. And it shows that, that it, it says that he sees him from a great deal distance off, and the father runs to the son. That statement was very countercultural in this time. In, in the Jewish culture, fathers didn't run to their sons ever. Um, in fact, it was quite the opposite. The son was usually looking, trying to work his way up to where the father wanted him, the standard the father wanted him. And in Jewish writings, a lot of people believed that God the father was kind of the same way, an authoritarian, you know, the, you know, the finger down, you failed, and that kind of thunder and lightning type of thing. And there are moments where he is that. But in this scenario, it shows us that God sees us coming back and he runs to us. He runs to that believer that's coming back. And the son gets the first two statements out. I have sinned against you in heaven. And I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father stops him right there. And he turns to the servant and he says, my son has come home, grab the best robe. And the best robe was reserved for high officials that came to, to dinner, um, family members of high esteem. It was, it was reserved for guests that held a, a stature. And then he has him put the gold finger on his, or the gold finger, <laughs> no, that's not right, the gold ring on his finger. <laughs> um, and the gold ring is a signet ring. And in Jewish culture, that was a, a, a signature to the father's estate, a, a, the ability to get into the checking account, if you will. Um, that's kind of a 21st century, well, I guess 20th century um, um, sort of scenario. But th- it allows you the ability to, to stake a claim in, in, the, in the father's stock. And then they kill the fatted calf to have a celebration. And the fatted calf was very expensive. So God makes these major moves to bring the son back in. Notice he doesn't make him work for it. He, doesn't, he, he accepts him in, no questions asked. And the reason for that, I believe, is is that God is moved by our love, even if it's weak love. And and I I believe this to be true, not just from the scripture, but because I know that we're made in his image. And to give you guys an example, and Jackson, I apologize, I'm going to pick on you for a second. Jackson, my youngest son, every now and then when he does something that we don't like, you know, he, he... messes up or, you know, has a, a moment that where we have to get on to him. A short time later, minutes, hours, I mean, sometimes later that day, you can kind of see it on his face that he's thinking about that moment and he, he, he feels bad. And so just out of the blue, he'll look at me and say, Daddy, I love you. And you can tell it's because of what he did earlier. And it doesn't matter how many times he says that, 
how mad he made me, what he did to do that, it moves every single time. It just gets me. Every single one of my kids that say I love you just gets me right here, you know? And if I, in my broken immaturity, can be moved by my child's immature and broken love, how much more can my father in heaven, who has no beginning and has no end, and I'd be willing to bet clearly has it all figured out and has way more patience than all of us, how much more can he be moved by our broken love? It's, I want to take it even a step further and say God actually delights in forgiving us when we come with a, with a sincere heart. And I want to back this up with a verse from Micah chapter 7 in the Old Testament. It's Micah chapter 7 verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of a people? You do not stay angry forever and you delight in mercy. I would even say, be able, I would say you could change delight to enjoy. You enjoy mercy. So that brings us back to the question, how do you think God sees you when you stumble? I would be willing to bet, and I, I fall into this camp more often than the other one, that most Christians see God, the Father, as mostly mad or mostly sad. And re the way I say that is, when we come to him on that thing that we've been stumbling on and stumbling upon and stumbling upon, that God, we, we picture God sitting up in his throne and just looking at us with this, it's you again. You know, it, you did that yesterday. Like, can you just get it together? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I guess Jesus died on the cross. I'll forgive you. It's what I'm supposed to do. All right. You know, that's how we kind of picture God a little bit because we've heard all our lives that God loves us. Well, yeah, you kind of, we just kind of take that for granted. I mean, God is love. That's what he's kind of supposed to do. But when we put it in the light of Micah 7, that he delights in forgiveness and he delights in mercy. Well, that changes everything. Now it's, he wants to forgive us and he wants to show us mercy. He delights in the fact that we've turned back to him because he's there on the front porch waiting for us to come back. He's running to us. The other, and I want to spend a quick second <clears throat> talking about the other son because we've kind of left him over here. And I want to make sure that we give him a little bit of lip service so that we don't fall into the trap of being like the other son. While it's good to not be like the younger son, I think we can all agree on that, um, the older son actually does something here too that we need to guard our hearts against. So the older son is the one who's always there. He's always working for the father. He's always in the field. He's up day in, day out, never really grumbles, never really complains. He's just kind of that steady workhorse of a Christian. You know, that just, he's constantly there for the father. And when the son comes home, He's in the field working. He's doing kingdom work. He's doing God's work. And he hears the commotion, and he comes up to the house, and he says, what is going on? And the servant comes to him and says, your brother has returned. We've killed the fatted calf for him. We've put the robe on him. We're having a celebration. Come join us. The brother has returned. And the, the older son gets indignant about it. He gets mad. And he says, I don't want anything to do with that. And he goes back out into the field. And the father has to come out to him and say, come join us. Please come into the house. And he says something interesting. He said, 
I've been with you the whole time, and you've never given me even a goat to go celebrate with my friends. And God says, or the Father says, yes, you have been with me the whole time, and all of my inheritance is yours. Everything that I own is yours. You've had it the whole time. We need to celebrate because this person who was lost, this son who was gone and lost is now back and is found. Come celebrate it with us. And so I think we as believers who, when we have those moments where we're not the younger son, where we find ourselves in the place of the older son, where things are by and large pretty good. I mean, obviously, we're, none of us are perfect. There are still things we work on. But there, we have seasons where things are good. I mean, we do. Everyone has that season where, you know, it's that, I don't want to say mountaintop, but like, you know, it's, we're up and we're doing work for the kingdom and things are good. We need to make sure and be careful not to fall into the trap of putting those believers that come back into a probationary period, if you will, to say, no, you have to kind of prove yourself to us before we'll really welcome you back in. Because that's not what God does. You know, when we, we're called to work as a body of believers. And I'm not going to lie, I was kind of proud of myself for coming up with this scenario. So if it doesn't, if it doesn't work right, just lie to me. Um, so think of the church as the hand. All right? So if we're the hand of the body of Christ, and the believers who have left and have come back are the fingers. If we take the fingers off and go set them over here and say, nope, when you prove to us that what you're that you're right in the good graces again when you've proved to us that you've really sincerely repented we'll bring you back in we're not going to be able to grab a whole lot of stuff we're not going to be able to do a whole lot of work for the kingdom because we're missing parts of the body it's only when we have the full body with us even if they're not on the same step as us even if they're not on the same stage as us we still need every single portion of that body for us to be able to make it work and so we need to make sure that we fall into the camp of treating believers who come back into the fold who have left and come back with the same compassion that God shows it that we we look at those believers and say you know what we're so glad you're back welcome back I would even say it might be fun to have a party I mean I'm always up for potluck so I mean maybe we need to have a hey the believers are back potluck we could start a thing for right yeah we could start a thing for that um I think I just coined something new all right um but that's, that's the, the focus. I'll make sure that we understand the spirit of God. We, we take assurance in the fact that he delights in us. And so the challenge that I want to give to you guys this morning, and I'm actually giving it to myself, because as I was putting this together, chapter 15 of Luke has always been one of my favorite chapters. And I've always thought that it's very important, but... I want to make a New Year's resolution of sorts, and I kind of want to challenge you to do it with me. Luke chapter 15 is 32 verses. I looked it up last night. I promise. Um, it's 32 verses, so it's not that long, but it's so powerful. I would challenge you to join me in reading Luke chapter 15 once a week, every week for 2020. With all of your other readings, that, I mean, that's, it would take five minutes. And just focus our prayer and our heart on saying, oh, we are called to be like God. This gives us true proof of what God's heart really is for us. I want to rest in that. I want to have assurance in that. Because if we come to God when we fall, 
with the assurance that he delights in us, we'll have a tendency, if we come to him believing that we're clean instead of believing that we're dirty and need to be clean, we'll, we're way more likely to live clean with the assurance that God has made us clean. And so that's my challenge to you guys. If you'll, I, I challenge you to join me in the new year. Um, once a week, pick your day and time. Mine may vary from day to time, but I'm going to get it in every week. To read chapter 15 of Luke and focus on God's heart in this and what he wants us to be like and wanting to be like him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that your word gives us glimpse into who you are. We thank you that you are a God of compassion and a God who delights in his people, who enjoys his people and enjoys those who are in his family and those who have left the family and come back. We thank you for all of the ways that you have blessed us in 2019. We thank you for all of the ways that you will bless us in 2020. And we ask that you put chapter 15 of Luke on our hearts and allow us to be focused on that in the new year. Focused on the assurance that you delight in us as a body of Christ. We love you and we thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We um, are going to close with a song that we have sung several times um, this Christmas. Um, I, I say that as a good thing. I really like this song. Um, we're going to be singing It's Christmas. If you'll join and, and stand with me, and then we will close out.